Father, I just want to ask that as we go into this time of focusing in on your word, that um, we would hear from you, that you would speak to somewhere deep within us. You'd help me say the things you want to be spoken from the front this morning. And that even as we respond in praises, as we respond in singing, we want to be full of your spirit. We want to see you move here. So we are here for you. Please use this time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Somewhere over the rainbow is a place where bluebirds fly and things are perfect. His life was perfect. He had a good life. He, he got to be the, one of the youngest of 12 brothers, so he was the baby. And yet because he was first born on his, the second wife's side of the family, he got to be first born too. How do you make that work? He was the favorite. The favorite of the 12. Oh, Dad loved his favorites. Dad had a favorite parent. He had a favorite wife. And he had a favorite child. And he was the favorite. And he, Dad displayed his favor with a rainbow coat. A rainbow coat. And, you know, it's one of those things where uh, maybe it's a coat he should have just worn on, like, special occasions, holidays. But he wore it all the time. And yes, I know, and I'm sure that he wore it with love for Dad but maybe also a little bit of pride. He had dreams to go with maybe a little bit of pride. Uh, He had dreams that things like the heavens bowing down to him, the the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, wonder who those represent. And and, and you know how when when, when you blow out the candles on a birthday cake, you're supposed to keep the wish a secret so it can come true? Well, He shared it with everybody he could. I had the dream. And everybody bowed down to me. Oh, they loved him for that. Dad was intrigued, though. Dad was intrigued. But his brothers, they hated his uh, technicolor dreams. And they gave him a nickname. Now, young boys should have tough nicknames like Daring or Dashing, but he had the nickname Dreamer. Dreamer. One day he woke up and it was a day like any other. Rainbow hopes, rainbow confidence, rainbow clothing. And his dad sent him on a little errand. He said, I want you to go and tattle, I mean, check on your brothers. And so off he goes, probably about 17 years old, out to check out his brothers some 50 miles away. He doesn't find them. He doesn't know where they're at. And as he's wandering around looking for them, he comes across a man in a field, some random stranger, some random, somehow almost omniscient stranger. And he says, have you seen my brothers? As he's some 50 miles from home. And the stranger says, oh yeah, 
Dothan. They went that away. All right. Off he goes. Meanwhile, the brothers are doing their work, tending their sheep, and they look up and they see the rainbow coming in all of its glory. And they plot. And they hate him. And they seize him. And they take the rainbow off of him and they shred it. Dip it in animal's blood. And they throw him in a waterless pit. Evening comes and it's cold. And he has no coat. And he calls out for them. Probably Judah. He's one of the guys he's counted on over the years. Judah! Reuben, come on! Joke's over, okay? It's done. I'm cold. But nobody comes. They're deaf to his cries. Later they take him and they sell him. Sold. 20 pieces of silver is the price of betraying a brother. And now he's in slavery in the house of a nobleman. And somehow he has fallen way under the rainbow. But you know, things go okay. And he's responsible. And he takes care of the household. Until the nobleman's wayward wife looks at him, schemes for him, tempts him. But but he won't give in. His will is strong enough. His shoes are fast enough. And his God is worthy enough. And he runs out of the room. After all, how could he do this thing in sin against his God? He's got no romantic prospects. You've got to keep that in mind. Slaves don't get that. But he won't take it illegitimately either. There's a false accusation. He's tossed into prison. And he meets people. He's got irons on his hands and maybe his neck. But he meets people and he's a dreamer. Only in this case he becomes a dream interpreter. Oh, he knows how to interpret dreams. And so he starts interpreting dreams for for the inmates. One of them gets elevated back to a position with Pharaoh, Pharaoh's butler. And yet he is forgotten. And the years tick, 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 tick by. And the pit gets deeper. And he is put away from the light, away from the rainbow dreams. And he languishes. One day he's remembered. Because Pharaoh has a need. He has a dream. It's a troubling dream and no magicians can tell him what it means. So the butler remembers, hey, I know a dream interpreter. And it'd probably be good for my career if I knew somebody like that, right? So he tells Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, bring the guy in and and, and he interprets the dream. And the dream means seven abundant years. Harvest will be good. Followed by seven lean years where the threat of starvation will be apparent to us and the surrounding community in Egypt. 
Pharaoh thinks highly of this interpretation and he says, great, you're in charge of making sure we're ready. Get our country ready for famine. And so he collects, he collects, he collects food. And sure enough, on the eighth year, crops are failing. Harvest isn't working. And who comes in the door but the brothers? It's been two years. And they've been hungry for two years. And they've been talking, how are we going to get food? I hear there's a wise man in Egypt who stored a lot of food. All right, let's go see him. Maybe he'll have mercy on us. And so they come in. And so, this second in command in Egypt plays a trick on them. Plays a little joke. Gives them a test to see if they're different brothers now and that the years have passed. They pass the test. And when he can bear it no more, when he can bear it no more, he cries technicolor tears and he says, I am Joseph. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. How's dad? And they embrace. And the dreamer becomes their deliverer. Would you pray before we look at the text? Father, before we open your word here and seek to understand Joseph's life, would you meet with us in this time? I pray for those who can identify with being somewhere way, way under the rainbow, somewhere in the pit of suffering, of questioning, of hurting, of wondering why. And I pray that as we move through this message today, that you'd speak to them. Help us understand Joseph's life. In your name, amen. So I've got one question this morning going into this whole message. One question. Who in the world was the guy in the field? Can we get the text up here? I'm sure Joseph thought many times, I'd like to punch that guy. A man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Oh, they moved on from here, the man answered. I heard him say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Who is that guy? He's nameless. He seems to know too much. And he's found so, you know, miles and miles away from home. He runs into Joseph in a field, wandering around. A solitary, somehow omniscient stranger. And there's a part of me that thinks, is that God? Is that Jesus? Is it an angel? And I don't know, because the Bible doesn't tell us, so I'm not going to say who that guy is. But I'm going to tell you what I do know. I do know God put that guy there. Right? God put that guy there, in the field. The right guy at the right time. And so many times when we go through suffering, here's what we do. Here's what we do. We say, 
Oh, if only I would have. If only it could have been this way. And when tragedy strikes, we say, if only I would have taken the right turn instead of the left turn. And that's like the human condition. This is, well, we all do this. I don't care how tough you are, strong you are, and faithful you are. We all like go through that. Why? And what if? What, what if Joseph didn't run into the guy in the field? What if Judah or Reuben had rescued Joseph from the pit before the other brothers sold him? What if Potiphar didn't have a wayward wife? What if Potiphar suspected his wife of something? What if the butler remembered Joseph earlier so that he didn't waste all those years? What if, what if, what if Joseph wasn't there to help deliver his family from starvation? See, we play the what if game, but God's got the guy in the field. God is sovereign over suffering. That's the point. God is sovereign over our suffering. Now, God does no evil, and He does no sin. He does no sin. But just like God could orchestrate the murder of His own Son, Jesus, so He is sovereign over your suffering. He's in charge. And I know you might have wished you took a right turn. I know you wish your life looked like the person over there. But it doesn't. It just doesn't. You got thrown in a pit. And yet God is sovereign over your suffering. Whatever it is. He put the guy in the field. Maybe he was the guy in the field. There's a question you ask him when you get to heaven. On your long list. And I don't understand what the guy is doing there. I don't don't know why it had to be. But I I, I guess we kind of do know. Because we know how the story plays out. I want to understand this sovereignty better. Joseph says it like this, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. There is a psalm that I think is unique amongst the psalms in that it interprets Joseph's life for us. Would you turn to Psalm 105? Psalm 105, verse 16. It says this. He, meaning God, called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. 17. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They... Excuse me, they bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons, till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased, and to teach his elders wisdom. Who called down the famine in Psalm 105? God did. And I just got to step back and go, God, you're sovereign. You're in charge. You've got this. Who sent Joseph to the rescue of his family? And again, the answer is God did. 
we would say, there's got to be an easier way. There had to be a better way to do this to save a family from starvation. I know a better way. But you're not God. And His plans are above our plans. And again, humanly speaking, when you're looking up from the pit towards the sunlight, you look around you're like, what am I doing in here? I don't like this plan. I wouldn't have chosen this plan. But God did. Which means you can trust Him for the outcome of the pit that you're in. What is the meaning of this suffering? I want to answer this question in in, in generalities in some ways, but how does God use your suffering? How does He use it? In Psalm 105, it's discussed how God uses trials and suffering. It's right here. I'm going to give you three. Three ways God uses it from Psalm 105, 16 and following. Um, In verse 18... Psalm 105, 18, it says that they put his neck in irons. So, so it's a reference to, of course, that when you're in prison, you're chained up. There's chains involved in prison. But the literal reading of that verse is very interesting. It doesn't read that they put his neck in irons. That, that's, a, that's a smoothing out of the text. There's a rougher version of the text, and I want to show it to you. We can pull that up. This is Young's uh, literal translation of the Bible. Um, I love this one. Uh, They have afflicted with fetters his feet. Iron hath entered his soul. Now, Joseph wasn't anemic. (laughs) But he needed iron to enter his soul, and that happened while he was languishing in prison and the years ticked by, iron entered him. Strength entered him. He became a stronger, more faithful, God-honoring man because he spent that time in prison. So number one, let's say it like this. God wants to put iron in your soul while you suffer. He wants to strengthen your faith, strengthen your conviction. Strengthen you internally. This is what he's doing in the suffering. He's putting iron in your soul. Some of you, uh, some of you are going through health stuff. Others, relational stuff. Others, just the despair over brokenness in some place in your life. And you say, I've never really felt strong in this moment. And you don't feel strong in the pit. You don't really feel strong in the prison because of your surroundings, because of the circumstances. But then sometimes when those circumstances change, you come out of it and you go, I'm a different person. I'm not the same as I was when I went into that prison. I came out changed. And if you allow the Lord to do it, that change is going to be the iron going to be the strength that you have now, that you didn't have before. There can be a softness to life that never puts into you what you need. And so there's suffering. 
Number two, God wants to prepare you for great responsibilities. That is a meaning of suffering, to prepare you for bigger things, for bigger responsibilities. Uh, This is what the text says. Verse 21, he made him, this is Pharaoh now, or maybe it's even the Lord. I I have to look at my notes. Um, The king sent and released him. The ruler set set him free. Yeah, here it is. He, I think meaning the king, made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. There's a point where Joseph says in his own life in Genesis, he says, I become like a father to Pharaoh. I mean, think about that. You're the top dog and you just elevated a slave and now you're taking advice from him. That's Joseph over Pharaoh, even though he's second He has this fatherly role. How do you become a father? When you've been in prison and been a slave and had a hard time starting your own family and yet now you're counseling everybody else? That's a huge undertaking. It's a huge responsibility. Instruct the princes of Pharaoh. Instruct the wise men, you dreamer. You know, it's amazing. You ever... um, Sometimes uh, those news shows do stories about people who win the lottery. Uh, I like watching them, but sometimes they're so depressing I can't do it. Because typically, you got this person and, and they win it all. They win big and they're so excited. And now they're buying uh, uh, nice cars, big houses, nice cruises, big vacations. They're doing all that stuff. And then you like fast forward a few years and they got nothing. They got nothing. I mean, they had a few years of living big. Then it was all gone, and we all know why that happened. We can all put our finger right on the issue. They weren't disciplined. They didn't know how to use their money. They didn't know how to invest. They thought it was just me, me, me. And because they'd only managed maybe a small salary, they didn't know how to manage a bigger salary. They didn't know how to take that payday. They weren't disciplined. They weren't ready for that bigger responsibility. And this is how God prepares His greatest servants through suffering. Job, somehow God trusts His best to suffer severely. And He is often preparing you for the day when He brings that huge responsibility and drops it in your lap. It's Moses, right? Spending what? Probably decades tending sheep? when his destiny is to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, what's up with leading all the sheep? Because he's a shepherd. He's going to be leading sheep. And the sheep are going to bite him at times, you know. (laughs) They're going to grumble. How do you do it, Moses? I learned with these little fluffy animals. seemed like a waste, though, when you had a big destiny ahead of you. Most of us want the destiny now. And we want it to be simple and pain-free. And it doesn't always come that way. Number three, and finally, to bring about something amazing, for example, like a rescue. God is in the business of rescuing people. And there's something about suffering that touches a nerve with everybody around you. When they see you suffer the way that you do, as a righteous man, as a righteous woman, and say, I'm staying faithful to God, there is just something that is incredibly attractive 
about that. And your faith shines. Your faith shines. I think about some of the recent funerals that I've done and how people have responded to the gospel. And death is always going to have the element of grief and sorrow. And when someone dies young, you're going to say, what in the world? But God's saying, I'm not wasting that. I'm rescuing people through that. And so this is what our text says. Psalm 105, 16. There's a tragedy, right? He called down a famine. I mean, you realize, and I've said it before in this sermon, famines are when people starve to death. You know? That's what famines are. Starving people. Destroyed all their supplies of food. But verse 17, He sent a man before them, Joseph. God already had the rescue operation planned. And if you want to back up another, uh, well, move forward, right? We're moving forward, right? Move forward a few hundred years, it's going to be the same plan, right? It's going to be Joseph brings his family into Egypt, right? And they prosper there until they don't. Until Pharaoh says, hey, I like having all this this big family here. I I think I'm going to make them my slaves. Because they threaten me a little bit, but I can use them. I know I can use them. And for 400 years... They're they're slaves until God leads them out. A rescue. And Joseph was just part of the planning, the sowing the seeds of that major rescue of millions of people. So watch for how the Lord will take whatever you're going through and use it to rescue people, to bring about something incredibly redemptive that only He can do. That's how He uses suffering. So, um, this morning, when I say amen, worship team will come up, we'll take an offering. We're going to invite you forward if you'd like prayer. We did this back in January. Uh, We invited people forward for prayer. And um, some of the requests I, I really can't talk about, you know. But I can definitely say... I saw the Lord move through that last prayer time we had. I can tell you a gentleman came up to me a few weeks ago and went to the doctor two days after we prayed here, and he was healed. I'm just, I'm just saying that. It was blood clots, you know, and they were healed. Um, and I'm not saying come forward for a, a faith healing service. It's not a name and claim it thing. What we've said this morning is, God is sovereign. And we call out to Him. We say, why do we call out to Him if He's got us in a place of suffering to begin with? If the famine's going on and we're in the pit, why call out to Him at all? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, James tells us why. James 1, if we can pull that up. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know what the word many kinds is in Greek? It just, just kind of hit me the other day. Uh, the word many kinds in Greek are, is the word multicolored. That's kind of cool. And sometimes God has you put the coat of many colored trials on. And you've got to wear it until he removes it. It's many colored trials. Does that mean that coat is not still a coat of his favor, though? 
I believe it is. I believe it is. So consider it pure joy. His favor rests on you and that colored coat. The same James can say a few chapters later, though, any one of you sick, you should call the elders to pray over you. Anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he will be forgiven. So it's a biblical thing to call the elders. I don't get called much. I mean, we do these in the service. I'd like to be called more. I know I can speak for the other elders. We'd like to be called more because it's biblical. Get on the phone. Please come over to my house. Don't forget the oil. And we'll be there. And we'll pray over you. So, my point is, the same James that can say, consider it joy when you have trials, can say, call the elders. This morning we'll have some elders in the front. I think we'll also have some deaconesses. If you'd like a woman to pray for you, we will be in the front here. I know you haven't called us, but we're here. We're just here. But if you'd like to call us, it's incredibly biblical to do just that. Uh, James isn't the only guy that talks about this uh, raising up business. Uh, Peter talks about it. Can we pull that one up? Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Joseph was going through humbling. He's been in the pit. He's been tempted, but he humbled himself and he did the right thing. And there was a time where God could lift him up and exalt him. And as we pray this morning... Maybe today is the day He wants to lift you up. I don't know what that day is. But maybe it's today. God knows. So I'm not a name it and claim it guy, and I'm not like, if you have enough faith, you'll coerce God. You'll twist His arm enough with your faith. No. No. You're calling out, though, to the sovereign God. He brought you to this place. And in His time, He can bring you right out. And I know He uses prayers to bring people out. So call on Him. I'm going to pray. That's my message. Um, I believe the Lord is near this morning. Uh, So I'm going to pray. We're going to take an offering. Worship team, if you would come up. Ushers, if you would come up for the offering. And when the offering is passed and you feel like you're ready, if you'd like prayer, We will be in the front. Oh, those prayer people, if you would come up now at this time as well and sit in the front. Let me pray. Father, um, I know our community has been grieving recently. And our prayers still go out to the family and friends of the Canada family those that are involved in the tragedy of that day. Our hearts ache for them. And so we continue to lift all of them up and meet them, whatever they're going through in this time. I thank you for the ways I've already seen the church step in. Thank you, Lord. I pray for those in our body, in our church, that are struggling with health, that are wrestling with brokenness, that are in the emotional turmoil, that don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, 
that feel like they're in a pit or that they've been falsely accused or that they're locked up and they just can't seem to walk into the light of your freedom? God, would this be a special morning for them? Would you meet with them? Would you minister to them? And in some ways, I know I don't even need to ask this because I know you're going to do it. I can just thank you that you're going to hear these prayers this morning and you're going to answer. I don't have to beg it. I don't have to coerce it. I don't have to try to conjure it. I just know you're going to answer. And so whatever you say, yes or no or wait, whatever you say, I pray we could hear it and accept it and keep being faithful to you. So I pray over this offering that you'd bless it, that you'd use it, you'd expand your kingdom here in the Northwoods. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.